Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message about the sovereign hand of God. God is glorified in our passionate desire to please Him, in our careful consideration of circumstances, in our application of wisdom to those decisions, and resting in the fact that we do not control our destinies. Our decisions do not control our destinies, that God ultimately is the one, so that nothing happens, James 4, unless the Lord wills it. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Decisions aren't just one-time events that hold no meaning. Our decisions weave together the tapestry of our lives. And today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt reminds us that we must approach the choices we make with wisdom, and that as Christians, God is more than willing to help us. It's the conclusion of a message titled, The Providence of God. And you can listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. What do we do with circumstances? God's control of circumstances is known as the providence of God. I'd like you to say that with me. The providence of God. Now providence, I think, is one of the most ignored and most precious truths in the entire Bible. So let's define it first of all. What is the providence of God? The Westminster Confession says it this way. God, the creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of his glory, wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. We do not live, listen, we do not live in a random universe where things simply happen. That there is a God who is sovereignly and providentially behind every detail of life. Not just the big things, but also the little things. Acts 17 says this, in him we live and move and have our being. All of life, all of this universe is completely surrounded and controlled by God. How do we explain God controlling things where there is always a natural explanation for it? And this is the theological word. It is the word concurrence, okay? This is what concurrence means. That God, as the first cause, cooperates with created things, secondary causes, in every action, directing their distinctive principles to cause them to act as they do. The first cause cooperates with the natural laws, inclinations, decisions of the second causes so that what the first cause wants to happen happens, but always through a secondary cause. Did you follow that? There is a sovereign, providential hand that is, has ordained it, is cooperating with it, is controlling it, and is using those secondary causes for a very specific purpose. And that purpose is that everything conform with the purpose, purpose of his will, Ephesians 1.11, and for those that love God, that all things are working towards a good that God has defined. But he is in control of all of it. And that is the providential hand of God. God works through normal secondary causes to accomplish his 
purpose. And circumstances, here's now, let's wrap it into circumstances. Circumstances are secondary causes. Every circumstance, no matter how normal or how unbelievable happen chance, is there by the providence of God. It comes by the hand of God. So how does that now relate to knowing God's will? God's will is not something to be discovered by keeping our eyes open for signs. And what this does is it leads to a kind of superstition. And I have seen this with Christians. That's not the way that God intends us to make decisions. God's will has been revealed. It's right here. This is his will for us. And now he expects us to apply wisdom in non-moral decisions in the circumstances that I am facing or the circumstances of the decision that I need to make. Now, there are two primary reasons for not assuming that God is the one uh, that is opening an apparent door of circumstance. First of all, we don't know who opened the door. If we're not careful, our perception of an open door will automatically assume that it is open for our good, but not every circumstance is good and wise, is it? All right, here's the second reason that we need to be careful about apparent open doors is that circumstances don't come with God's interpretation. Circumstances don't come with a set of directions. And we desperately want circumstances to give us direction, but to do so, we always have to interpret them. And Scripture gives us no insight into how to read the providence of God. You know, you can look too much into this, but last week when I had that ministry opportunity with CEF, uh, a man at our, our church very graciously uh, let me ride with him to uh, O'Hare, and I got off, and I had all my luggage. I go to the check-in gate, and uh, uh, the check-in area, and I said, okay, you know, Steve, actually, I slid my credit card and all that, and it was like, nothing. And I'm like, I need some help here, because apparently it's not showing me on this flight. And they said, what's your name? And they check it out. They said, you're not on this flight. In fact, we have no record of you anywhere in our computers. I'm like, what? You're kidding me. And I pulled out my sheet, you know, the printout with all the things on it. I said, this says I'm going on this. And uh, so in that moment, though, I actually had a flash in my, in my mind. I thought, well, maybe this is one of those stories we know where God keeps somebody from getting on the plane because it's going to crash. <laughs> what am I trying to do? I'm trying to read the providence of God. Or maybe God doesn't want me to speak at this thing, and I should just, you know, stay home. Maybe that's why this is happening. They need somebody else to be there. I could have wondered about these things. But I asked, how much is a... I said, well, how much is a round-trip ticket if I buy it right here at the gate? And, and she, mm, that'll be about $1,000. I'm like, oh, man. I said, listen, ma'am. I said, this is a missions organization that's paying for this. I said, is there anything that we can do? And she kind of does one of these numbers. You know, doing this. And then she writes it on a piece of paper and slides it over to me. 277. I'm like, I think maybe we got ourselves a deal. And so I get back, I get, all, I get to North Carolina, and you know, they're all happy about it because they thought they paid $350 with the ticket that they ended up not buying, and now they just end up paying $277. So they saved $80 in the whole deal. So in my mind, though, think of this. I'm reading the providence of God. I go from thinking the plane's going to crash to God doesn't want me to speak at this conference to in the end, all God wanted to do was save $80. Okay. But I couldn't know that in the moment, could I? 
And that's the problem, is that circumstances don't come with a set of divine directions. We don't know what God is doing or what his plan is. So therefore, we shouldn't assume that we, that we do. Let me give you some classic examples of people who try to do this. If you read the book of Job, what you find in Job is, here's this guy, he's got everything. He's wealthy, he's got a great family, things are going great, he worships every day, he prays for his kids, he's a godly man. He loses everything, basically, in a moment. His children die, his, his uh, flocks run away, everything's bad, then he gets sick, and guess what? Here come his friends now in the story. And basically, this is the main part of the book of Job. And his friends come, and he's so bad, they just sit with him for days, looking at him like, man, you are just wretched. And they felt they were very empathetic towards him. Well, then, as friends oftentimes do, they try to uh, explain, you know, okay, well, let's, we'll tell you why this has happened. And they, they blame, you know, they blame his life. You seem like you were righteous, but you really weren't. This is God's judgment on you. And they try to interpret Job's circumstances. Well, in the end of the book, God shows up and basically says, I will tell you why this happened. And he says to the friends, he says, you three friends, you got it all wrong. They went on for nine chapters interpreting the providential hand of God. Guess how many things they got right? Zero. Nothing. Circumstances don't come with directions. Here's another example. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road and they come across a blind man. And listen to the, the uh, interpretation of providence that the, that the disciples give. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, okay, do you hear what they're saying? They're coming to an assumption. We see what's happened. Here's our interpretation of the circumstance that this man sinned or his parents sinned. Okay? There we are. We've pontificated. We know what God's plan is. We know what God is doing here. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So how much did the disciples get right? Zero. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The disciples see the circumstance and they assume that they know what God's perspective is on the circumstance. They don't. We don't. We never do. We can't. Now this one, the third one, is very interesting. Those of you that are familiar with the open door language, that mostly comes... I believe, from the Apostle Paul, who would use this kind of language in his letters, and I give some references where he does. But he says in Colossians 4.3, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message. And you can look these up, but what is interesting is that when Paul uses the language of opening door, he's not talking about a circumstance, he's talking about an opportunity. He's talking about an opportunity. There is a door of ministry opportunity that has been opened. And what is so interesting here is that Paul actually doesn't walk through an open door that he acknowledges that God opened for him. And here's the reference, 2 Corinthians 2.12. This is what he says. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them, and I went on to Macedonia. Think of that. Paul arrives in Troas, and he says, you know what, there is, God has opened a door. There is this incredible opportunity here. Wow. But you know what, I think it's more important that I connect with Titus, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through that open door, and I'm going to go to Macedonia and see if I can't run into Titus. Paul didn't go through a God-opened door. So what do we learn from this? as it relates to decision-making. 
Here it is. That circumstances are controlled by God, but merely provide the context for decisions. All decisions are to be guided by God's revealed will and spiritual expediency. His revealed will is his scripture, and expediency is wisdom. And here, I believe, is where uh, understanding how God works is important. This is why I did the whole secondary cause thing. God works through secondary causes to accomplish his purposes. Those secondary causes include situations where an apparent path is wisdom. It may not be a sin to pass on the prudent opportunity. However, we also need to recognize that our decisions have consequences. And God wants us to maximize our lives for the kingdom of God. He will bring to us opportunities, open doors, and those doors are to be evaluated by the same wisdom that all of our lives are to be evaluated by. I don't necessarily have to go through this open door, but does wisdom say that this would be the best thing, the most prudent thing, the most wise thing, the most expedient thing, as I try to accomplish my goal, which is to glorify God in all things? Are you with me? <laughs> I said a lot there. Do you see what I'm saying? I hope that you do. Let me give you a few examples. I have a friend who prayed for a wife for years. He was in his mid-30s, he was in seminary, and he really he thought about it, he, he thought through things, and he really had his mind renewed about what kind of woman the Lord would have him. What's a godly woman, what's a virtuous woman, those kind of things. Well, one day in seminary, he meets this woman, and she just really strikes him. And the more that he gets to know her, the more that he realizes that this woman fits the profile of what he had been praying for and what he believed, uh, uh, you know, God, the kind of woman that God uh, admired himself. So anyway, he just says, well, okay, here we go. And after he gets in, engaged to her, this is what he told me. He said, you know what? I feel that it would almost be disobedient for me not to marry her. Almost be disobedient not to marry her. Now, I would say that is an overstatement by a little bit, okay? And I mean that, by a little. It is an overstatement. God, though, wants us to live according to wisdom. And sometimes he sovereignly brings circumstances into our lives where the path of wisdom is obvious, you know? Sometimes he knows we're stupid, okay? And just brings... Those situations where we look at things and we say, you know what, it is so clear what the path of wisdom is to do in this situation. This is somewhat how I feel about um, coming to Bethel as a pastor. 1997, I had been in ministry for five years. I had been in school for six. I had done my training. I had been ordained. I had prepared myself. I felt like I knew what my gifts were. Was praying about life in general. What do you want from me? God, I want to be open to your leading. Well, I get a call in the spring of 1997 from, from this church in Northwest Indiana. I know nothing about the church. I know nothing about Northwest Indiana. But I begin to come to understand more about the church and more about the opportunity. And I come to understand more about the opportunity for a church like ours in Northwest Indiana. And I became mostly convinced that this is something that I needed to do that I could be more effective as a pastor here than in Indianapolis, that I, the opportunity was such that I really felt this is something that I think that I need to do. Now, I mostly felt that. 
Okay? Because there are very few decisions in life where you are like 100%. There is always that like 5 to 7% fudge room where there's uncertainty, maybe worry, doubt, whatever it might be. But I really felt like this is something that I needed to do. The path of wisdom seemed obvious to me. And God does that. He brings, he controls, he can do that, control circumstances where the path of wisdom. Now, did I have to come here? No. Would I forever be out of the will of God if I didn't come here? No, I don't think so. But then I look at the church and I see what God is doing here now and I think, boy, I would hate to have missed the opportunity to be here. And I'm glad that I came. And see, that's how I think that we have to view the opportunities and the circumstances of life. To view them through wisdom and to say, I want to do all that I can to maximize in this one life that I have. I want to talk about that uncertainty factor in making decisions. Let's go back to where we started on the providence of God. Here is where I believe a God-centeredness in life helps so much in making decisions. Romans 8, 28, what does it say? We're back to it again. And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now what did I say as a basic little statement on, on, on how to know God's will for your life? Love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. And what does Romans 8, 28 say is true for those that love God? All things work together for good. So here we have now these two things coming together. That when I am loving God and I want what he wants in my life and I am seeking him and praying and passionate for him and I'm applying wisdom in the decisions of my life, that I can take that 10% of uncertainty in the decision and rest by faith in this truth right here. That I can't do anything that is going to steer God away from this goal, which is working things together for good. And we need to rest, listen friends, we need to rest in that truth by faith, even in uncertainty because can't we all look back at decisions that we've made in our lives poor decisions that we've made in our lives maybe poor decisions even after we were christians that we've made in our lives and if we could go back we would change it but we look back and we see how god worked through that poor decision and we see good that has come from it and sometimes we even look back at the poor decision and we see the good that came from it, and if we could go back, many times we wouldn't even necessarily change the decision because God worked through that decision to bring about his sovereign good. And God is sovereign over every one of our lives. He has made certain promises. These are things that we can't, we can't get away from. For example, next verse, please. Philippians 2.13 God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's doing that. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will, will carry it on to completion. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. A life according to wisdom requires faith, listen, faith in God's ultimate sovereignty so that decision-making is as much an act of faith as anything else, which is one reason I think that signs and fleeces are so popular. 
What does a sign or fleece try to do? It tries to coerce God into giving guidance in some way. It short-circuits God's plan. God is glorified in our passionate desire to please Him, in our careful consideration of circumstances, in our application of wisdom to those decisions, and resting in the fact that we do not control our destinies. Our decisions do not control our destinies. That God ultimately is the one so that nothing happens, James 4, unless the Lord wills it. You know, there are some people who are chronically indecisive. I'm talking about the individual who is frozen in their life and unable to make decisions, afraid to make a decision because what if it doesn't work? What if it fails. I'm not going to launch off on any direction because I don't know what the result is. Friends, at the core of that, that is unbelief in God's goodness and God's sovereignty. That is not something to be admired. It's a lack of faith. I, you know, one of my earliest memories, they talk about how your earliest memory is something that was afraid. You were afraid. Maybe that was true for you when you were a kid. The earliest memory in your mind, something happened. One of my earliest memories, I remember we were at a camp and uh, there was a lake at the camp, and my dad carried me out on the dock. This was a long dock. And the further we went out on the dock, the more that I got afraid, and the more that I gripped him. And to this day, I can remember that. You want to know why I was afraid? I was afraid he was going to drop me. Now, now that I know my dad, there ain't no way he was going to drop me. No way. And I could rest, if I, if I would have been more mature in that moment, I could have rested in my dad's ability to take care of me. And when it comes down right, right down to it, we will never make decisions where we know God's hidden will, where we will have God's perspective. There will always be a sense of, I'm not sure about this part of it. And what do we do with that? We take that and we apply what we know is true about God, and that is that he is sovereign, that he is loving, and that he is good. And I can rest in that truth. And I can make this decision. And I can go forward because I believe this to be the path that will lead uh, to my ultimate goal, which is to please the Lord in everything and to glorify him in all that I do. And that is as best I can describe to you how to make decisions, how to know God's will for your life. And I hope that it's been helpful to you. Because this is where we live, isn't it? Every day, making decisions in a context of circumstances that God is sovereignly over, that he expects us to apply wisdom, which there I go on my sermon again. You've got it already. I pray that the Lord uses it in our lives. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the conclusion of a message called The Providence of God. I want to remind you that you can always go back and listen to any message that you might have missed by going to The Journey. FM. Well, today's message was a good reminder that while God is sovereign, it's our responsibility to apply the wisdom of His Word to our everyday choices and decisions. And that's why every day on the journey, we dedicate ourselves to spreading the gospel to people worldwide via radio and the internet so that they can gain an understanding of Jesus Christ and live a life that's pleasing to Him. And when you make a generous gift of any amount to this ministry, it will help us reach even more people through this Bible teaching program. So would you help us? You can give by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit us online at thejourney.com.
anchor.fm. And when you give, we'll say thanks by sending you a book called Decision Making and the Will of God, a biblical alternative to the traditional view. In this book, author Gary Friesen tackles the very practical issues of choosing a mate, picking a career, giving, and much more. It's a fresh and liberating approach to decision-making and the will of God. And you can request your copy along with your donation by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. And while you're there on our website, be sure to sign up to receive updates from The Journey. Just scroll to the blue box at the bottom of the page and then enter your name and email. If you'd rather stay up to date through social media, just click the Facebook logo at the top of the page and then hit the follow button. I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve shares insight on how our decision-making is based on our trust in God's wisdom. That's Friday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.